chapter 14, we'll, we'll begin in verse 8 and read through 23. I haven't exactly decided how we're going to do this, but we'll shortly, for sure. We are following Paul on, this, um, on his missionary journey. This is his first missionary journey since they uh, set apart Paul and Barnabas there in Antioch of Syria. Back there in chapter 13, there in the first part. And as you well know, Paul is a, he's an apostle to the Gentiles. But he encounters Jews along the way. It's not just exclusively a Gentile ministry. But as we're going to find out, he is venturing further and further into Gentile country. The title of the message tonight is Gentile Country. (laughs) How could that be different than uh, venturing into uh, Jewish country? Well, we'll see. There are some there are some differences uh, there that we'll note. Uh, but I think the, the, the crux of, of the matter tonight, before we get too far into his missionary journeys is the thought came to me that it is good and right to consider Paul's missionary journeys. But as we study those missionary journeys of Paul, Let us consider our own. Yeah, let us consider our own. Let us consider ourselves as missionaries. I mean, if there was ever a mission field, this is a mission field. And let us bear some responsibility of getting the gospel out to those who need to hear on this mission field. Um, it's real convenient to, to study and ooh and ah over what Paul goes through. Uh, but to, to understand that, you know, he, as an apostle, is, yes, he's going into uncharted waters. But we still have a responsibility to this day as believers... Um, as admirers of Paul, uh, to uh, shoulder some responsibility in getting the gospel out to those around us. So um, let's pick it up here in verse 8. He is in Lystra. Oh, I almost forgot. Let's go to the maps. I know somebody would say, missed a fine time to go to the maps tonight. So we're there. I'm on map eight, which is the last map in my precious Bible. And let's track his um, missionary journey. You see Antioch there uh, on the, uh, well, on the north, well, on the eastern side of the Great Sea, the Mediterranean Sea. There's Antioch. That's where he starts. And remember, he goes to Seleucia and sails to Cyprus. He preaches the gospel in Salamis, Cyprus. That's on the eastern part of that island. 
Remember that he and his companion traverse the island and they wind up there on the western side of the island there at Paphos or Paphos, whatever. Sometimes these pronunciations are certainly far from perfect. But then once they're finished there in Cyprus, they sail northwest to Perga, find Perga there. And then they walk, I'm assuming, they walk all the way up to Pisidian Antioch. And we have a significant account of what transpired in Pisidian Antioch. There, in that synagogue, there were a great number of Hebrews. And there was, um, the word went forth to my, as far as I can recall, there was no uh, act of power or there was no healing or no, nothing other than a judgment miracle. I think there was a judgment miracle there. Well, anyway, um, they're in Pisidian Antioch and then they go from there, um, let's see, to Iconium. I believe that's right. Yeah. There it is. They go to Iconium. They go to Derb or Derby. I'm just going to call it Derby because that sounds a little more fun. They go to Derby. So Lystra to Derby. And then that is really the outskirts. That's they're in Gentile country. Uh, They're uh, boy. Well, Galatia is up there in the north and he's going to write a letter to the Galatians um, but then they, they return, they go back to, uh, Pisidian Antioch. So we'll track that, but, but notice there's quite a bit of travel involved. I'm not sure of the mileage at this point, but anyway, I've read some numbers, but I'd get them mixed up. So, um, Derby and then all the way back to Pisidian Antioch. Well, we'll pick it up there in verse 8, at Lystra. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet. Lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. Now that is what I would call stationary life. This man is, I mean, he's beyond hopeless. It's a sad situation. And this man was listening to Paul. I'm just happy even though his legs didn't work, his ears were working. He's listening to Paul as he spoke. Who, when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen what he had faith, or that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. Now that's, that's wonderful. What a moment. I think the two things here that stand out uh, in our minds as, uh, as far as Paul's concerned is that Paul was speaking, and no doubt he's, he's speaking about Jesus, 
And he fixed his gaze on this man. He saw something in him. Luke tells us that. He had seen that he had faith to be made well. He said with a loud voice. So this is the second thing. So he, gave, he, had, he fixed his gaze and then he spoke up with a loud voice. Stand upright on your feet. Now this is right in the middle of his teaching of his sermon. And this man leaped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they raised their voice saying in the Lycaonian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. Now, what we need to make note of, he's not in the synagogue. Evidently, there's not a synagogue there or he would have begun the ministry in Lystra in a synagogue. So it tells us this is, this is even more Gentile country than Iconium and the Pisidian Antioch. So he's getting out further into Gentile country. He's not in a synagogue. And uh, the, the people raise their voice into Lyconian language. And this is what they said. The gods have become like men and have come down to us. Now, this was... Uh, what they said is, is consistent with the way they've been brought up. Evidently, there in Lystra, there, there was a, uh, a temple there at the city gate dedicated to Jupiter. So they were, they were used to these false gods. And the reason the temple was there was because sometime back, way back, uh, Jupiter had appeared to them or some person. And they thought they were gods and they worshipped them and they ended up building a temple to them. Well, that's what they're saying. The gods have become like men and have come down to us. Well, in that, they're referring to Paul and Barnabas. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus. Now, there's some discussion about why they would call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes. Why they wouldn't call Paul Zeus and Barnabas Hermes. Well, I mean, some people say, well, Barnabas may have been a little older. I don't know. They, this is just what they did. They're attributing uh, their, their gods. They're saying that Paul and Barnabas are the embodiment of their gods. Zeus and Hermes. And uh, he says because he was the chief speaker. So Paul is in their minds is Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Well, he, um, he's also the one that was speaking when this man was raised up from his, uh, from his affliction. The priest of Zeus, this gets better, by the way. This, you can't, this is just the best. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowd. So all of a sudden, Jesus heals a man there at Lystra, and the people who witnessed this healing are calling Barnabas and Paul Zeus and Hermes, and now this priest of Zeus, the head of the, their idolatry, 
the head of their religion. Now he wants to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas, who they think are Hermes and Zeus. Boy, what what a deal. I mean, what a situation. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes. And they rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you. And preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Now of all that we know that Paul said, this is... uh, This is the only Old Testament quote to these Gentiles. Notice how he's, he doesn't go back and start talking about Abraham. He is, he's talking to them in terms of what they know. And, and, and he's establishing a common ground there. And he's saying, God's the creator. He's the one who deserves or is worthy of our worship. And then he goes on, in the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own way. Uh, I think in another place, he refers to it as a time of ignorance. And yet he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So notice, even though... Paul knows they're, they're idolatrous. He's saying God continued as creator to bless them. He gave them rains from heaven. He gave them fruitful seasons. They've been satisfied with food and gladness. Even saying these things with difficulty, they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. So the people still don't get it fully The crowd still want to make sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. And they've got their leader there who is encouraging this. Hey, we've got an ox. We've got some garland. There you are. And here's this man made well. Let's have a sacrifice. Paul and Barnabas are having none of it. They're they're turning down the ox. They're turning down the garland. They're not, they do not want the worship. They're directing all of this to God. Here we go. And this is, this is quite astounding, but Jews. You've heard those, the wonderful passages in the Bible or the verses that begin, but God. Those are sweet. <laughs> when you have the, this one, but Jews, you know what's going to take place. They're there to be a thorn in Paul's side. But Jews came from where? Antioch and Iconium, having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. So, I mean, you talk about ups and downs. I mean, they go from, uh, you know, kind of new kids on the block there, uh, preaching the gospel. There's a man made well now. The crowds want to worship them as idols. They're saying no, they're discouraging that. And because of some Jews that came all the way from Antioch and Iconium, 
and they won over the crowds, they what? They stoned Paul and they dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. I mean, they went from the people wanting to worship them to the people throwing rocks at them. And, and this is uh, where it says that they were supposing him to be dead. Some people think that he really was dead, that he was raised from the dead. Uh, and others feel like he was close, very close to death there. But you'll remember at Iconium, uh, he became aware of their desire to stone him. And he left, he fled. Yeah, there in verse 6, they became aware of it. Aware of what? That the Jews with their rulers wanted to mistreat and stone them. So Paul and Barnabas became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia and Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Well, here, they didn't make it out of the city. Um... Paul is stoned and he is, they drag him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. And the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derby. So um, Paul continues on. He's uh, continuing this journey. After they had preached the gospel to that city, that city being Derby, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. So we don't have a lot on what exactly happened at Derby. So we think that it was a successful ministry, that there wasn't a lot of uh, drama, so to speak, and that they had a good ministry in Derby, and we know that they made many disciples, and then they returned to Lystra. So he's going back to where he was stoned, he was left for dead, and to Iconium, and to Antioch, and what's he doing? So this is interesting. So they're returning, and they are strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. A couple things before we close with uh, scripture out of second Timothy. And if I can remember the reference out of second Corinthians, um, Here, we have Paul and Barnabas appointing elders in every church. Uh, Some some folks um, put this practice of appointing elders later when the church is more developed. And that's why we have these passages in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus about the appointment of elders in an established setting. But the fact is, that you find this in the book of Acts. It wasn't a late thing. It was a a very early thing that they would commit uh, to 
because they're missionaries. They're on a journey. They're going to be there for a while. They're going to leave. And, uh, and the church is strengthened with the leadership of, of elders there. So um, when, we, when we meet next time, I want to take one uh, statement out of this, uh, well, I want to I look at, uh, I want to go back a little bit, look at Iconium just for a little bit and then take a statement that is made there in verse 22 and then and expound on that with some other scriptures. But tonight, let's, um, let's go to 2 Timothy. And I, I hope we don't have to read the whole book to find what I'm looking for here. Um, chapter 3, there it is, in verse 10. Second Timothy, chapter 3, and verse 10. Hmm. Okay, and I think I remember the second, uh, Thess- second Corinthians one. All right, he says, uh, he's writing to Timothy. He's trying to encourage this young pastor who we think felt somewhat overwhelmed and was uh, of the timid sort. We always refer to him as timid Timothy. Um, And so in verse 10, he says, now you followed my teaching. So this is Paul writing. And this is later. He says, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Are you ready for verse 12? Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So in the immediate context, he's telling his young son in the faith, uh, he's saying persevere. And Paul is also saying persevere. And I know what I'm talking about. And it's worth it. It's worth it. The Lord will, he, and Paul says it, the Lord never let me down. The Lord never let me down. Listen, we go through trials. We go through a wide assortment of, of trouble in this life. I think here in the West, well, I don't think, I know. Here in the West, we're somewhat immune right now. Uh, but we shouldn't get comfortable with that. Uh, immune to some persecution. Um, but that is a reality and it's worth persevering even when you've been rejected by people. Um, and then one, one other, uh, passage there in second Corinthians and we'll See, where was it? 1127. Paul didn't mind talking about his hardships. 
And he gave glory to God that the Lord brought him through. And here we have another uh, example. Uh, well, let's read verse 26. Well, I mean, we could read the whole book of 2 Corinthians. It's fascinating. But 26, Paul says, I've been on frequent journeys. Well, look what happened to him on his first missionary journey. He's going to make two more. He says, I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? So once again, Paul sharing his uh, hardships. And he does so to encourage others. Persevere. Persevere in the faith. Uh, The Lord is honored in that. And uh, we are blessed as we uh, endure. So uh, as we close, uh, so we're thinking about Paul's journey to spread the gospel We're thinking about our own journey, our own responsibility to spread the gospel. Um, And uh, I would encourage you to contemplate that and think about that and talk to someone about your thoughts on that. God opening doors, God giving you opportunity uh, to point folks to Jesus.